Hey everyone, this is Nathan. I'm just recording this stinger because we recorded this episode before all this Richard Sherman news broke. I just wanted you to know that uh, we'll be getting to it next week. Uh, it does suck that he's going to be on Tampa Bay with Tom Brady, but uh, we'll be we'll get into how we our true feelings on that next week, and we hope you enjoy this week's episode. Welcome back, Seahawks fans, to the newest episode of the Seahawks Nest Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Santo, joined, as always, by the Ken Norton Jr. To my Pete Carroll, it's Kevin Garber. Kevin, how are you doing? I would adjust to the comment you just made, except I don't make adjustments. And our very <laughs> our very own Shane Waldron. That's right. It's Eric Ronovic. Eric, how are you doing? Oh, man, it's perfect. I'm, the, yeah. We're like, hey, I like this guy. And then they're Good. like, I think that guy might be overrated. Not to go fully like off script, but I mean, like you have like uh, you have like the the juggernaut in our fan, in our league of fantasy league of record this year, and uh, it's like you're you're the Shane Waldron, you're the hot young guy right now. You just, yeah. so he's the Shane Waldron. You're saying he's going to lose the final half of the season in a row. <laughs> uh, it's very possible. The season he's going to score zero points. No, please. I'll on say this: all records. Looking at Eric's bench, maybe <laughs> if people <laughs> start if people start you? to get injured, it could get Paper bad fast. Thin. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the starters are incredible, though. So so all you got, all, if injury luck goes your way, you are I don't set. Know what you're talking about? I got rid of James Conner. I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> and no one picked him up. Yeah, it's just so sad. J- poor James Conner, just off into the wind. But you know, what? let's not talk about Arizona Cardinals running backs. Let's talk about Seattle Seahawks because this has been, I think, a very rough weekend for Seattle Seahawks fans. We went into that game saying that. Minnesota was the bad Seahawks, right? We went into it saying Minnesota's the bad Seahawks. And from a on-the-field talent perspective, I actually still believe that to be true. But there is one very big factor that we did not maybe take into account enough. And that has to be the... Jeff Zimmer coaching for his life. Je- so Zimmer <laughs> Zimmer versus Carroll. Or Mike uh, Zimmer? Mike Dave Zimmer, Zimmer, yeah. It's Mike. Uh, whoever you want Greg Zimmer, Zimmerman Zimmerman it's the third Zimmerman! baseman for the uh for Washington Nationals from like 10 years ago I don't remember uh, uh okay so the, the Zimmer versus Carroll coaching battle did not go the way that we wanted it to and so I'm gonna start with you Kevin uh for for this one what 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 did you see from a coaching perspective that really kind of stuck out to you in this one uh so I noticed on defense the big thing was there was no adjustment to anything. I felt like it was really similar to the second half of the Tennessee game. It was sort of like the Minnesota staff watched that game and they were like, well, let's just game plan against the second half defense. And then they did. And then that was good enough. So that part was really frustrating. They were able to move the ball very effectively with some very simple, like, 
basic zone beater plays. Our defense did not look, uh, it looked very predictable. It looked very vanilla. And then somehow at the same time, there were communication issues. And I know that we were missing one of our defensive coaches. And I know that came up in the press conference afterwards. But to me, that's not an excuse, especially when you're running out there with guys that were playing together last season, people that should be able to be on the same page. So that was it on defense. On offense, I felt like either it was, whether it was Russ or Waldron, and I think I got to put this one on Russ. It felt like he fell straight back into Russ hero ball mode. And he wasn't like taking what the defense gave him in the second half. He was pushing. It was sideline throws. It was forcing the ball into receivers. It didn't look like he was running the offense. It looked like he was out there trying to make plays. And I, that tells me that our offensive coaching staff and our head coach aren't able to talk him into doing what he needs to do within the structure of the offense in order to score points, which is why suddenly we just stopped scoring. And what could have been a close barn burner ended up being low-key blowout. So, I mean, let's be honest. The Seahawks ran 10 relevant offensive plays in the second half, right? And and here's here's the problem for me is that the de- that defense comes out of halftime, okay? 21, they, they gave up 21 first half points, okay? And they come out after the half and people are like people might look at the box score and they might say well they only gave up nine nine second half points that's okay they allowed an eight minute and 26 second drive a five minute and one second drive and a seven minute and eight second drive they allowed the minnesota vikings to control 20 minutes of the second half while we were losing um i don't know if we talked about this last week oh we definitely did but controlling the football is important and what Minnesota did is they shifted gears and said, we're going to control the rest of this game because their defense cannot stop us from getting five yards, 10 yards, five yards, 10 yards, five yards, 10 yards. And yeah, maybe we'll just kick a 43 yard field goal, a 34 yard field goal, a 20 yard field goal. The last one was only a 20 yarder, but yeah, we'll kick some, we'll kick some short field goals and stuff. Who cares? Because we, we have, we are controlling the game. We are controlling the game on a, on offense and like that turnover on downs drive, like the game was already over at that point, right? Like they would have needed to score onside kick score that there's just, I don't know. There, there's too much to ask for, for this offense. I think if you can't, if the defense can't play good enough to, to string, if the offense strings two bad drives together, we instantly lose the game. I feel like that, that shouldn't happen. Right. Yeah. Not they, getting the ball for the entire third quarter was a backbreaker. Here's the yeah. here's their their drives. Touchdown, punt, touchdown, touchdown, field goal, field goal, field goal. That's their drives for the game. They allowed them to score on every single drive except one. And that's been true for the for the last last half of the last game too, right? They just allow points every single time the other team touches the ball. And it doesn't matter if you're bending or you're breaking, you're losing if you're allowing points on every single drive. Do you guys think that's part of it that uh, Russ is pressing because he feels like he has to score every drive like 2017 style? I feel like that's a cop out. Um, I mean, 2017 style. He he was stringing things together. He might be pressing, but there either there's no urgency or there's press. Uh, there's a disconnect between the quarterback and the receivers and the offensive coordinator, or it's not working. Like it's it's two sides of the same coin. Like pick one. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I mean we can point to specific plays like there's a like that back breaking Amadi penalty where that kept the Minnesota drive going and stuff like that. But if one play dooms your team like that, that 
you'd have a lot of other problems, right? There, there's yeah. there's so many things that went wrong in this game. Eric, I'm going to ask you this. The way that this team is defending middle of the field on a <laughs> scale of 1 to 10, how much do you miss KJ Wright right now? <laughs> I'm I won. Uh, I guess I'm going to give it a score of uh, in honor of the new 007 movie, a negative 007. That's what okay. I would rate it. Um, uh, how bad are we missing KJ Wright? We are. I guess I'm having a problem with a few articles I've seen that are like, this is why you never should have gotten rid of KJ Wright. Like, no, it was time to move on. The Seahawks had to see what they got. Having said that, yeah, the middle of our the middle of the field defense is awful. Am I putting that all in the players? They deserve a fair shake at it. I have a big problem with our defensive schemes right now. I feel like we have talent at linebacker. We loved our linebackers in the preseason. We thought that they were awesome. I'd stick to that. But man, I don't. I mean, somehow you're making Bobby Wagner look like he's on an island on every play. And that's how do you do that? Bobby Wagner is like the ultimate team guy where he moves, the team moves with him. And in this defense this year, I just feel like it's it's Bobby alone, Bobby alone. And I don't mean that he's doing everything. I mean that he's it's it's like there's no synergy between him and anyone else on the field, which was a big part of Bobby Wagner. Do you think that the social distancing thing got to our secondary? Like, because these guys had so much, the Vikings had so much space to work with. Like the amount of space that we're giving Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen to work with in the secondary. And it, kudos. Yeah, to I didn't know if you were doing a bit or not, because yes, that's exactly what we did. <laughs> kudos to Trey Flowers for, uh, so Michael Sean Duggar posted on Twitter that he said that they request players and people can say yes or no. Okay. And so of course, Quandre Diggs says no, probably, which makes sense. I would, if I was in that secondary after that game, I wouldn't say yes. Uh, and then they, uh, but then Trey said yes and came out there and answered some really tough questions. And I, you know, I, I respect him a lot for that because he did not have a great game, uh, targeted seven times, gave up seven receptions, uh, <laughs> 78 yards, you know, just like usual, only like four yards per catch after the four yards after the catch. Um, per usual, it's just a he tackles well, but he is just a like guy who gives up a catch and then tackles you after you make the catch. It's just it's so frustrating to watch to watch him play. And I, I don't yes. know. It's, it's just it's a mess. It's a mess all over the field on defense. It's a. It's a mess on offense sometimes, but on defense, it's a mess the entire time you watch it. And you can, it's it's like a bad horror movie. You know what's going to happen next, and you just can't stop it. You can't do anything about it. No one can stop it. Um, I we all have so many thoughts, and they're yeah. all right or they're all wrong. But it's still better than where we're at right now. Well, I think the big thing that I'm noticing is you know watching through the game. There was one or one of two things happening, and if you listen to DJ Reed and Trey Flowers after the game, um, you know which one they think it is. But what we're seeing is a ton of plays where, like on the um, like skinny post up the hash mark for the touchdown against DJ Reed, there should have been an underneath defender. He was clearly playing like the over-the-top coverage on the receiver. And if you're playing coverage in that position, that means you're expecting someone to be dropped into coverage in the underneath. So they'd have to be throwing like over a linebacker or something. If you're looking at where Diggs is, he's coming across the field 
where there's like three people kind of blanketing a route into that corner of the end zone. Well, there wouldn't be a reason for three people to be there. So clearly somebody's either either somebody's out of place or the defensive scheme is so predictable that the other team Mm -hmm. is able to just run a match scheme to beat specifically what they know we're doing. So it's got to be one of those two things. Either the execution's off and people are out of position, which if you look at Diggs' gestures on the field, he sure th- seems to think so because he's constantly pointing to people like, hey, why weren't you there? But if you listen after the press conference, the corners are saying that the way that the scheme is working is exploiting the way that the defensive scheme is set up. And what? so it's a combination of those two things or one of them is really what? out of whack. What annoys me with this, though, this whole thing is that this is the same coaching staff from last year, the same personnel grouping, basically. Right. So so how come they're having so much trouble communicating? I mean, looking at NFL next gen stats for for last game, uh, all three of the primary Minnesota ball catchers, Adam Thielen, Tyler Conklin and Justin Jefferson were in the top 20 in terms of average separation including Justin Jefferson in that was the number two wide receiver averaging 4.2 yards of separation per, per uh, route run. This is like, this is ridiculous. Like these guys, Justin Jefferson is a guy that, you know, before the game starts that you need to game plan for and you need to stop and you can blame, you can blame whatever you want, but like the scheme is weak. The, what the players are not playing, right? Like Tyler Conklin was wide open repeatedly. Yes, he was Tyler Conklin, 3.3 yards of separation per play. That is ridiculous. Conklin, conk, conk. Like, th- this is not a guy that I was worried about before the game started. Eric was texting me in the third quarter going, why is the right tackle for Cleveland doing so well at tight end for Minnesota? And <laughs> I mean, he's not wrong. Like, why was the tight end? Why was the right right tackle for Cleveland? Because he's not, it's not like Tyler Conklin, some kind of premier athlete that we should have been super worried about. Speaking of getting a lot of separation, do you know who was first in next gen stats in terms of separation? Last week, in the in the Less. whole in the whole uh, in week three, and then in the whole league, number one, five receptions, fifty four yards, no touchdowns. Plays for your Seattle Seahawks. That's yeah, Gerald Tyler, Everett. Oh, Gerald Everett. Gerald Everett wide open all game, but Russ just refuses to throw sh- flat middles, short middles, uh, smoke route, like any any kind of routes that 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 Gerald is working. This guy is open all the time. Get the butt. Get him the ball attack the weakness of this defense they just don't do it they just so i wanted to ask this i wrote this down because i didn't want to go off anything i wrote down like you guys but uh do you think that russ doesn't throw to tight ends because he's never really had a tight end to throw to and you can't say james graham because james graham was a wide receiver sure and his best friend uh yeah i mean he loves jimmy graham so i feel like he did throw to jimmy graham and i i don't and we made jimmy graham into a blocker right eric M- yeah, Michael Bennett. Michael Bennett said so. That's <laughs> what Michael Bennett told me. So I I believe it. Yeah. Well. Um, yeah. I I really don't. I really don't know. I don't know. This is. It's so hard to to really break this down. I mean, we had eight defenders in the box for fifty seven point six nine percent of plays. Uh, run, that they ran. They ran into eight man boxes to the tune of 112 yards. Like, I just don't know. Like this game is, has so many, I wrote down like a million stats. Everything went wrong. So I don't know if he doesn't throw to tight ends because he's, I don't know. You know, people are going to say it's because he's short, right? And he can't see in the I, middle of the field. I, I think that, that is such a hot take that I believe in. 
I, I've said <laughs> I've been saying it for years, but when you look at the guys around him and you look at like he will throw in passing lanes when the separation happens in the offensive line. You can watch that. And it's not all the time, especially on the deep balls. The deep balls, he can see through everyone. But anytime it's a pass over the middle of the field or a quick slant, you can tell he waits. And it's uh it's it's so there's certainly something to that. And it's killing our, the, the the waiting on the middle throws is killing our offense. Like it's just it's slowly uh, draining. I'm gonna look here. Let me look at the passing directions. So in this game, he went short middles six for six for 86. He went intermediate middles four for five for 76. Like keep pounding that. That is those are great stats, right? Like the the worst the worst quartile for him outside left deep one for four 21 yards. Like the those. Those plays that are going to the the long throws that are missing and then or him taking bad sacks are killing our drives. He needs to just keep pounding this middle part of the field until people take it away, right? And right now, no one is taking it away because they think that he'll stop throwing it. And he will, right? Because Russ says psychopath things like incredible's not good enough. I have to be iconic, you know, like the like a, Maybe that's like a, why he loves going outside so much, like deep. He's everyone says he's the best deep ball thrower in the league. He's the best 50-50 ball guy in the league. And that's why he has all these short passes that are going for, for yardage that he's not exploiting. I mean Well, and when he presses, he presses to the deep outside. That's just like it's the whole thing where when he escapes pressure, he always does that spin move and rolls left. Yeah. And the offense wants him to roll right. And that's it's one of those things where what was the play? Uh, I think it was Samuel Gold pointed out a play um, kind of live on Twitter as it was going where he rolled into pressure to his left and it ended up being a sack. I believe it was. And if he would have been if he would have stepped up a little bit, a hole actually opened to his right and he would have had a really big clear running lane instead. Yeah. And OK, another, another thing just drive me nuts. If Alex Collins is and uh, Chris Carson are combining for over six yards a rush. Like why, why not just run the ball? Some guys like, I mean, I hate run passing is better than running, but Pete Carroll, if you got such a big boner for running the ball <laughs> ball so much, how about you actually do it? Instead I know of- you just said it. And now Pete's phone is ringing. <laughs> he's, he's got his, he, uh, his nightcap on his, little his nose shirt. itches right yeah. now. Exactly. Uh, only running play action on eight of 37 dropbacks. What's that all about? Come on, man. Like this, this uh, offense is not, does not look like the one we saw in week one. In week one, we played a good, a good solid defense. Uh, Indianapolis. Uh, now Indianapolis has played like trash this year and maybe they're just a bad team, but I, I don't totally believe that. Uh, I think that their defense is still going to be, pre- end up being pretty decent. And we, we were, you know, doing all kinds of interesting things. And in this game, it just, the offense whipped, looked pretty plain and it, they weren't able to shift. They weren't able to kind of, um, you know, kind of react to what the defense was doing. I mean, Carson only runs 12 times and he only ran into eight man box once. Like the, the lanes were there for him to run that big touchdown run. You could have drove a truck through that lane. Let the, let the offense run a little bit. If that's, what's working, use the, use the run to set up the pass. We saw this in the Dallas game against Philadelphia this week. Dallas runs in the first half quite a bit. Right. And like, Zeke's got almost 100 yards at halftime and two touchdowns, and and uh, Pollard's got another 40 yards, and it's like, man, they're just running. Are they going to keep running? No, they used the run to set up the pass, and the, the second half, they just threw the whole second half, right? Like, they start throwing the ball around the yard. You can use the run to set up the pass. You can you don't have to pass to set up the run. You can do it either way. You need to be able to adjust to what the defense is giving you. This defense was giving us 
openings in the run game and short and intermediate passes. And we should have just pounded that until they took it away. And then that's when you play action shot over the top, right? Like you just no. hammer what the defense is giving you. Stop trying to force everything. Everything just feels so forced all the time, especially once we're behind. Once we're behind, man, it just feels like we're forcing everything. And you think that that would come from the offensive coordinator and your quarterback. These are things that we're watching as the game is unfolding and no one on the field is picking this up. Yeah, it's frustrating. I mean, at the same point in time, like what's happening is if you look at the second half, this is one of those things where the way the defense was playing was playing into offensive issues. So if you look at our one drive of the third quarter, we have a pair of runs that give us a first down. And then in the second set of downs we get, Russ shows Russ throws it incomplete. Then Russ gets sacked on second down, and you're not going to run on you third know, You know exactly what the play is, yeah. And so that's one of those situations where it's like, okay, there's the run to set up the pat. Oh, wait, no, it doesn't do anything because like, so because we ran twice. And if we ran three times and then got stuffed on the third run, everyone would be saying, well, what are we doing running the ball three times in a row? They're going to know what's going on, right? So it makes sense. You're mixing up the plays. But Russ throws it incomplete. Russ takes the sack from Everson Griffin. And then all of a sudden, the drive is shut down. But that wouldn't seem like as big of a deal if we had more than one drive in the entire third quarter. Because then we get the ball back finally in the fourth quarter. We're already down 10. And we have... Carson with the run that gets stopped. So now we're at second and nine and we have the whole locket scenario and everything. But by then we're basically pressing and we're passing because we're down 10 points in the fourth quarter. And if the ball goes back to the defense, we know we're going to give up another five minute drive. Oh, wait, no, sorry. I mean, seven minute and eight second drive. All right. And looking at the, so looking yeah, at the drive seven. charts from this game are like, are it's frustrating. It's like it's yeah, you, put a screwdriver to my head and pull the trigger like it's our power drill man it's like i do not these drive charts are i like the first version whatever man it's like it is these drive charts are so bad like they they are infuriatingly bad uh for the for the seattle seahawks like it is just oh my gosh how like these just long sustained drives so many plays where like Kirk Cousins is passing short and then Madison's coming off the left end and then short pass and then Madison and then short pass and short pass and short pass and Madison it's like come on man this the, the things they're doing they're they're not doing anything exciting right and then every time we get a third down man we cannot get off the field like that third down play on third and 12 in the red zone to Thielen that is just oh, brutal. That is so just bad. just garbage. Just garbage. Like that is that is. Well, and this is the second half defense against Tennessee, right? Where you're sitting there going, "Cool, another dump off over the middle. Cool, another dump off over the middle. I wonder what the next play is going to uh-huh. be. I bet it'll be a dump off over the middle. It, like, either that or a run where they get where they get eight yards. You know what I mean? Right. They they they, they are they. And the thing is, I don't even feel like our defensive line played that bad. Like I thought the defensive line looked decent watching back the game. Unfortunately, I watched this game again. I don't know. Did you guys have the stomach for it? I no. I yes, would not I watched I would, most of it. I ran out of time. I would not I would not blame you if you didn't cuz this is like the this was like not fun but the, I thought the defensive line did good. They created like a, a lot of pressure actually. Uh a lot of pressure without bringing extra dudes, which is what you want. 
but it, it, so they got worked on those uh, kind of the quick pass. But it did, yeah, it doesn't matter if you're if you're in Kirk Cousins' face if he only has to throw it three yards. You know what I mean? Like if there's a guy wide open three yards past the line of scrimmage, and then that guy can run for four more yards before he gets tackled. Guess what? You just gave up seven yards, and your pressure is worthless. We gotta we gotta have guys breaking up those short passes, and that was KJ last year, right? And so this it stands for it needs to be Bobby, or it needs to be Jamal, or it needs to be Jordan. One of those guys needs to step up and start really hammering these underneath routes and and making people pay. You know, even if even if you're not gonna break up the pass, make that guy regret catching that ball. So next yes. time, when next time when he catches it, he just thinks maybe I won't do that. <laughs> maybe I'll drop this one, or maybe maybe I'll I'll when I turn around, I'm gonna be looking right because I know last time Jordan Brooks destroyed me and made me <laughs> made me not want to catch this it's ball again. Those footsteps. Well, again, is that a technique and coaching thing? Because okay, so we have this pressure set that is designed to get that quick pressure that makes you a little more vulnerable to screens so if you're going to have that kind of a quick pressure set then logically you would have your uh coverage guys playing up on the offensive player up on the pass catcher to prevent like those like smoke passes or the quick screens or any of those kinds of plays because you'd be going okay all I really need to do is cover this guy for like two and a half seconds and pressure is going to be in cousin's face by that point and instead we're playing with like five yards of cushion and running pressure schemes. So now our coverage guys, our defensive backs are five yards back up field and our defensive line is pushing forward and it creates this huge middle bubble for those screens to go in. It's And so if it's a quick passing game, then there's enough of a blanket there or there's enough of a a bubble there for the receiver to catch the ball and turn up field and get like a nice three to six yard gain. And if it's a screen pass, then there's basically 10 yards of separation between our coverage defenders and our defensive line for the person to operate with and for blocks to set up. I don't understand how our pressure scheme and our coverage scheme are supposed to work together. And the more I look at the results of the last couple of games, I don't think our players understand either. Yeah. Well, so that's it's it's just rough out there. Um, all right, Eric, what was your least? I'm just going to I wrote this down. <laughs> this is a question I'm going to give everyone. What is the biggest thing that the Seahawks need to do to to recover from this game? What's the what's the what's the biggest step that uh, that they need to take? Right oh, can I be too broad? Do I need to be? Exact? Go for it. Be, nope. Be we need to write the offensive ship because we lost the Titans game by three points. We shouldn't have lost that game. We know it. If the defense was so bad, that's fine. But if the offense takes care of business at the end of the game or in the fourth quarter, that's uh, uh, it's second half. That's that's a win. In this game, we were up seventeen to nothing. Fine, give up, give up unanswered points, a bunch of unanswered points. Give up thirty answered points. I don't care. But score more. Score another seventeen. Seventeen plus seventeen is throw it to the judges. You're both teachers. Thirty-four points. 34-30, Seahawks win. They need to write the offensive ship. That's the only way that they're going to be able to settle down anything. And then everyone can say, man, this defense is awful, but it doesn't matter because they're scoring a bunch of points. This is why we brought Waldron in. I don't understand it. I don't. I expected our defense to be bad. Kevin and I bumped heads a couple weeks ago talking about the cornerbacks, and Kevin was like, I see hope in these guys, and look at our pressure. Our pressure numbers are looking good, which they certainly are, but I expected this defense to be bad. 
I also expected this offense to be awesome, especially after week one, especially given the crew that we have. And I don't want to hear this. Like Everson Griffin, he may have gone nuts on us, but Russ has time to throw the ball. Okay. We have so much talent on this team and supposedly this offensive maven. So here's the thing. Russell Wilson, so far this season, 73.3% completion percentage. He's averaging 10.4 yards per attempt. He, his QB rating is 133.6. That's first in the league. Like I just have a hard time seeing the offense as the problem, even though that, yeah, they have some dud drives, you know, in the second half of this game, but like, it's so hard to lay this at Russ's feet when he's playing so good. Hey, I'm not laying this at Russ's feet per se. I'm laying this at everyone on the offense's feet. And also we need to be consistent in our offense and consistent scoring, consistent drives. We just talked about all these offensive stutters, just sputtering out, not going anywhere. And I don't think 17 points against the Vikings is a great offense. And this is something we do with Russ. We look at Russ's stats and we say he's so good here. And Russ, when he demands his trade at the end of the year or two years or three years, believe me, it's going to happen. This is where he's going to say, well, my numbers aren't bad. My numbers aren't bad. Russ deserves as much of the blame on offense as everyone else. It's pretty hard for him. It's pretty hard for him to score when he doesn't have the ball, though. That's like the thing. Oh, I know that. But when he has the ball, (laughs) when he's when when the offense is sputtering, I have a huge problem with that. It's just I yeah, I I don't know. I just there's two two bad drives. Like if your team can't survive two bad drives, Minnesota had two bad drives in this game, you know, they at the beginning of the game. But then they they never had another bad drive again because and we can harp on the defense, but I don't know what to expect from the defense because outside of our pass rush, I don't know how much talent is in the secondary. I know our safeties are great, but so you're more leaning on the the offense can be transformative. Also, I know what best, you, I also think I know what offense. you guys are going to say. Yes, I think we can be the best offense, and we need to live up to that. We don't need to say like I know what you guys are already going to say, and you're both right. So I'm taking the offensive side because we can be the best offense in football. And guess what? If not, we can be second best to the Chiefs if they start playing like they did last year. Hey, right now we're the second best DVOA offense. So I, I mean, I agree. Like I think they need to they, if this team's going to make the playoffs, they need to at least sustain the level of offense we're playing right now. Or even you're right, maybe even be a little better. Keep it up all game too. Keep it up yeah. all game. And the de- for me, the defense, like I. They okay. The offense is it's tough. There there are definitely weaknesses on this team, right? We go through stretches where we just give up a bunch of sacks in a row, and everything seems to just spiral. And that is like mildly infuriating, right? Because it'll be like great drive, amazing drive, good drive, good drive, drive where you think that a different team has been transported into our current team, right? And it's like, what what happened here? Like, is this a body snatcher situation? Where was the team that was just running over this team fifteen minutes ago? Right. And so that is kind of uh, frustrating. But for me, like the defense just looks it. I just don't know. I, you can't win with this defense. This defense needs to get better. And I don't know if it's an accountability meeting, but we are tw- we are 27th in past DVOA defense. We are allowing uh, more. Pa- we are worth. We are be- some teams we are behind some some lovely teams. The Atlanta Falcons, the uh, the New York football Jets. Okay, these are teams that we're behind in DVA. The, the Eagles, the 49ers. Like these are teams that I think reputation-wise have a bad defense, right? And our passing DVOA is worse than them. This pa- this secondary needs to get its stuff together so that they can get that offense that 
that Eric wants to see score even more, get them back on the field. That offense deserves opportunities and they're not getting them right now because this defense is just ridiculously easy to just, okay. I've talked about this before. Like when, when I look at offensive receivers, right? What, what's, what's one stat I like to look at? You of guys, offensive you receivers? Know. Yeah. I like to look uh, at how many times. Yards per route run or yards after catch? I like yards per route run, but I like first downs. I want to see how many yeah. first downs people are making because first downs are how you you continue you can, you continue sustain drives, right? I like to look at how many first downs. Like in this game, DK Metcalf had six first downs on six catches. That's awesome. Like that's really, really good. And that that's the kind of thing where, yeah, Gerald Everett, three first downs on his five catches. Homer had two first downs on his three catches. Like I want to see guys generating first downs. And when – the other team has the ball. They just generate first downs. They're able to get out the field. In this game, Minnesota on third down, okay, just they were invincible on third down. They could not They could not be stopped. And that, that was the difference in the game for me. They went 9 for 14 on third down, so we went 3 for 8 and also 0 for 1 on fourth down. We were terrible on third and fourth down. Once, our, once things get difficult, our offense, I think Eric's right, our offense sputters. And then our defense does not have the ability to give our offense extra opportunities. And it's just a, it's a spirals out of control. And uh, I don't know, I don't know how to fix it really. Cause the, 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 the like I said, the talent, talent wise, this team doesn't look that bad on paper. You look at the players and you think this should work, right? This should work, but man, it is not working right now. Everything seems to be going wrong. Tell the truth. What is it? Tell the truth. What days of the week of that? Tell the, tell the truth Tuesday. That's going to turn over. Mondays. It's, it's gonna be a bad day. <laughs> Ken Ken Norton sit in a corner Wednesday. <laughs> Ken, Ken I'm sorry I yelled at you, Ken Norton. You're the best defensive coordinator I know. Thursday. And then Friday <laughs> is Applebee's, I think. All you can all you can eat riblets. We've isolated the problem. All you, can eat, the problem. all you can eat riblets on Fridays. Okay. That's uh, Ivan's health and nutrition plan is Fridays at Applebee's. Stephon, we have isolated the problem. <laughs> Quandre Diggs is like, I'm sick of these damn riblets. <laughs> uh, Russ, Russ is like, I thought Marshawn's like, that was just a skip, man. <laughs> uh, all right, Kevin, what, how do we fix it? How do we get out of, out of this problem? We switched to Dave and Buster's on Fridays. Um, okay, so I think that Pete, cover your ears if you're listening. Um, our defense needs to stop caring as much about toxic differential. Uh, I think we need to embrace the fact that we are not going to be a shutdown defense. And so it's better to give up big plays that then gets the ball back to our offense faster than to allow the entire game to be bled away. Um, play ag- from the 20 to the 20, I'm okay with playing more aggressive and giving up a few bigger, trying to, plays. trying to get some turnovers. I can dig that. I mean, man, it would be nice to see this defense start creating some turnovers for sure. I think like, cause we know Quandre Diggs is an opportunist. We know Jamal Adams is an opportunist and they haven't always been able to show it in this uniform. I would love to see the defensive line play for pressure the defensive backs play for turnovers and if you give up some longer plays and let them get into the red zone you know maybe you be a little more conservative in the red zone and try and hold them to three but between the 20s when you're not being aggressive to try and pin them way back and you're not being aggressive to try and keep them out of the end zone i would love to see us ball hunt because we should be thinking about the game in terms of quantity of possessions 
because if we have more possessions with the number two DVOA offense, with Russell Wilson at quarterback, with what this team has to provide uh, in terms of weapons, then more offense equals more points. And like the more offensive possessions we can generate, the better. And I'm, I'm, I like one thing I like is that we're all being pretty realistic because we know that that Pete isn't going to go to the VMAC and tell Ken Norton Jr. and and Trey Flowers they can't be involved until they find a four hole punch, right? He's not gonna he's not gonna like send them on a, <laughs> an impossible mission. Like he he this this the, these guys are part of our team, and, and Pete's loyal. Pete's loyal in some way. Like he, if if you're putting in the work, you're going to be part of the team. Now, do I think Sidney Jones has a really good chance to start next week? Absolutely. Sidney Jones definitely and we'll talk about that in the San Francisco preview. But I And Trey Brown after the bye. Trey Brown after the bye. Trey Brown's a starter. Trey Brown is one hundred percent a starter in this offense. There's or defense. There's no way that he can't outplay these guys and win win that job the way he was playing in the preseason. So yeah, I I think I think you got I agree with both what both of you said, which is uh which is rare, but uh but nice. So so <laughs> like I do think the offense really needs to stop spiraling on third downs. You know, take what the defense gives you and, and sustain their drives and make sure that they're getting points all the time. And the defense playing aggressive would be absolutely fantastic. So yeah, it's man, it's it's rough. And you know, when it's when in, when you're when you're having rough times, I think it's great to to go out with a friend, you know, and hang out with the friend. Uh you guys had any good uh, friend hangouts lately, Kevin? I know Fridays you've been playing some board games, right? Yeah, always, uh, always have some nice, relaxing board games on Fridays. A chance to uh, converse, decompress the week with some uh, good friends. Eric, what about you? You been doing anything uh, fun? Uh, you know, <laughs> my wife doesn't listen to the podcast. Doing Applebee's with? Uh, um, no, 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 no. I my my stomach is feeling great, so. Uh, is it feeling good in the neighborhood? Yeah, I'm like, hey Ken, you should just keep eating these so you can't move anymore, and then I'll I'll take over for you. I'll wear the stupid ball cap. Uh, my wife doesn't listen to the show, but uh, spending time with the wife has been great. Uh, getting getting into this hockey team, and uh, that's been pretty relaxing. Oh for yeah, me. I've been. Uh, I, I went. Uh, me, and my dad pulled some trees out of the ground, which is pretty fun. Um, but you know who's been? You know who's hanging out with their friends? Uh, Blake from Washington Fish Quest. He hit the he hit the seas with Shingo. And caught a coho salmon. It is huge. Did you guys? Did you guys see this, the size of this yeah. fish? I was like, dang, bro, this guy Blake is killing it uh, out there. And you guys should check out his channel, Washington Fish Quest, the uh, banner sponsor of the Seahawks Nest Podcast. Check it out, uh, Shingo. Shingo. What, one thing I liked about this video is uh, I felt like one there's powdered donuts, which is uh, a big hit for me. And uh, two, I don't think Shingo talked until like the video. He was like a he was silent. He was just a vibe, you know. He's just chilling, which I liked. The powdered so, yeah. donuts. Uh, I was grateful for that. I want to do a shout out there. Shout out to powdered donuts. All right, any, any man who does those, I'm with you. You ready for San Francisco, 49ers? <sighs> yeah. All right. Um, here's the thing: the way that this team is coaching, coached right now, if we come out and and look anything like we did this week, uh. Kyle Shanahan is going to have quite a fun day beating the brakes off of this defense. He is going to have a party. I don't even think San Francisco's offense is is like all that great. It's is Jimmy G still their quarterback? It's, it's real. Then it's not all that great. It's it's real. Uh, it's their tenth right now in DVOA, eleventh in the pass, seventh in rush, which just feels like what they are. You know, like if Jimmy G's in charge, they're going to be a a good but not great offense, and it, it's. It's fine. Their defense does not look that good. They're they're good against the rush, but they they're like we said at the beginning of the season, they're pretty bad against the pass. San Francisco has almost grabbed a defeat from the jaws of victory against uh, some teams like the Lions. Uh, the same way we grabbed defeat from the jaws of victory against the Titans. But I would say the Titans are better than the Lions. Although 
uh, DVOA does not does not agree with that statement. They have them right next to each other in the the rankings. I I, I don't know. They, they, the Lions actually play hard. Uh, uh, respect respect to hey, they got some kneecaps to deal with. Respect to the guy Dan Campbell because Dan Campbell has got this Detroit Lions team that is not very good. They're talent wise, they're bad. All their cornerbacks are hurt, but man, they play to the end of every game and they almost beat Baltimore. They when they lost in the most Lions fashion possible, right? Which is the they come down the the Lions the, the play clock expires to zero to zero. They the Baltimore runs the play and they it just counts for some reason. And then yep, it's because everyone just wanted to see what Tucker would do. And then Tucker <laughs> kicks a sixty six yard field goal, man, and he, and he doinks it too. He doinks it through just the most imp- the most exciting imp- field goal of all time. So much suspense. Imp- an impossible task. What a what a game, and uh, yeah. Well, je- jealous. Great job letting Muse's right foot on that one. Jealous a little bit. Um, man, it's tough though. It's t- I, I'm overall very difficult times. Uh, to, to, it's very difficult for me to ima- envision us really. <laughs> after these last two games, I don't want to. I don't want to play San Francisco right now. Can we? I wish we had like a get right game. I wish we're playing like the jets next week. Or Jacksonville step on up tra- yeah. tra- turn over Trevor and then Jacksonville Jaguars. It'd be, it'd be the best medicine. Um, yeah. Cause the schedule we've played so far is not super great. Like Minnesota's we've played two teams that I think are really medium Minnesota and Tennessee. I don't think either of them are going to be at the end of the year thing teams we think of as really awesome teams. And we've played one team that's at this point looks pretty bad in the Colts. And so our schedule hasn't been super tough. We're one and two. Our offense has looked incredible for stretches and then completely disappeared for stretches. Our defense is not nice. And now we have to play the hated San Francisco 49ers who are going to, oh, it's just, I can't, I can't with this. It's just like, I don't want to play them right now. I'm so, I'm so scared. I don't feel like this after week one. I just didn't think I was going to feel like this this season, but I'm terrified of Shanahan right now. And I always am on the, I hate Shanahan. He's not good. That good. But man. Okay. Am I overreacting? Should I be scared of the 49ers? Eric, what do you think? Uh, no, no, I don't think you should overreact. Uh, the 49ers have a, uh, a plus defense. Jimmy G is, He's playing the best he's ever played, which isn't saying a lot, but he's it's, <laughs> backhanded it, compliment right there. Well, it's funny listening to the announcers because for some reason I've been able to watch at least part of every game they played this year. Uh, I think week one they cut to the 49ers and it was just like, ah, oh, Jimmy G, he's throwing the ball around and he's he's been great for this team. And he, it's like, get out of here, man. Like they are just waiting. They are waiting to get rid of him. And he's 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 accepted the challenge. Uh he will have no problem moving the ball in Jimmy G fashions, which is not too dangerously middle of the field, seven to 13 yards uh, until he throws it right to a linebacker. This, well, the, that's if, if the, if the, if the linebackers aren't on the ground or, you know, blitzing, it's like last game, Cody Barton out in that blitz perfectly. And uh, Kirk Cousins just threw the ball. He just threw the ball and it was like 13 yard gain. I was like, Oh my gosh, I hate this so much. And, uh, yeah, I, I think you should be scared of this game. I I do not feel positive about this game. I'm not looking forward to this game. I do not have a good prediction for this game. Mm, yeah, I, I, I could see so many outcomes for this game. 
Like we have the talent to just go out there and dominate, right? Like the, the oh, absolutely. If, if the coaching yep. looks, if the coaching looks really good in this game, we could go out and just just take over this game on the field. But also, I could see a game where Bosa is just going off, and they're they're getting they got like six sacks, and we're just getting killed uh, by the pass rush. And Cashel is out again, right? It's it's. Uh, I don't know if that's confirmed. And then it, what if uh, what if J- Jamarco has g- gurgle gut again? <laughs> It's not looking good for Shell, but he is he is set to practice gurgle gut. That's I believe that's why Belichick doesn't mark. I mean that down on the, that is seriously what Applebee's. That is seriously what happened though. He he they said that he was his stomach hurt, and we had a guy get carted off for cramps in this game. I I un- <laughs> unbelievable kind of. It wasn't funny until you said it right next to gurgle gut. Car- so the thing is, so uh, Pete said that he thought that Shell's injury is going to be a one-week thing. We should have him back, which is a big deal because Eric Armstead and Nick Bosa are two of the only people on that defense actually playing like to a high level. Yeah. So um, that's gonna that'd be a really big deal because having those two edges and having anybody except for Shell and Brown out there is ugly. Because I don't know if you've noticed, but I think we have a literal scarecrow set on fire playing center. Oh my gosh, it's crazy. Our our offensive line is Dwayne Brown just just being the best, and then uh, Lewis and and Jackson doing their doing pretty good, and then the other two guys are just like, what am I supposed? What what's going on? It's like uh, if it was a group project, the the center is is the guy who never shows up to the to the uh, the meetings or anything, shows up to the group presentation, and then tries to wing it, and you can. 100 percent tell exactly what's yep what's and the right tackle was the guy who transferred into the class late and was put in the group project with one day left and uh didn't actually know what's going on but the, the professor really wanted to make sure they and apparently feels sick to his stomach <laughs> well, i was going with Karan. i'm never getting over that we have an undrafted rookie right tackle uh, yeah that's 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 bad that's really bad Karan's gonna start Karan's gonna start this week no that's that's who that's who played most of the game oh yeah yeah yeah. last last week week. yeah yeah it's not good yeah it's we should have shell back so i'm just going to proceed with that conclusion because i don't want to ruin my week (laughs) oh man okay all right so let's do predictions for this game um i i guess i'm gonna go with my most likely outcome which is kyle shanahan out coaches pete carroll not a hot take there at this point uh, Kyle Shannon out coaches Pete Carroll and the San Francisco 49ers win 28 to 20. Uh, Kevin. Uh, so the Seattle Seahawks generally don't get off to really cold starts. And I don't see that happening here. I think Pete understands what the stakes are. I think that our offense is capable of doing a lot more than it did last week. I think it's going to be an offense first game, a kind of miserable shootout where Kittle's going to get way too many yards and like we'll manage to not let Debo do a whole lot, but like this will be the Brandon I breakout game because something annoying like that always seems to happen. And it's going to be, uh, let's go 35, 32 Seahawks. All right. Uh, Eric, I am going with, uh, some drives that fall apart drives that, score uh not super high scoring overall though 27 21 san francisco 49ers all right very that our scores are very close together i think yeah i I think you have way too much faith with that two point difference of my score (laughs) 
uh, my scores farther apart are farther apart. I'm I'm way, way too much faith in the Niners, right? Niners yeah. are a three. Niners are a three point point three point favorite in Vegas at home. Uh, implied implied score is a twenty eight twenty five. Uh, the by the um the old points red. It's actually there's half points, but whatever. So okay. Thank you for supporting the Seahawks in this podcast. If you want to join the other supporters, man, this is the worst. I, I saved the good ad read for Blake. This is the bad one. Uh, so if you want to su- the bad read. if you want to support the show, head over to patreon.com slash Seahawks Nest for as little as a dollar twenty four month. Get access to the Picks podcast. It's a it's a hoot and a holler. Uh, for thank you to those people who are supporting Andy, Brett, Greta, James, Carrie, Lucas, Ryan, Timothy, Tom, Astro, Bob. Casey, Charles, Daniel, David, Phloctimus, Foles, Jay, Kieran, Leon, Michelle, Mike, Mike, Richard, Sam, Thomas, Warwolf, Brandon, Nick. And to our new Patreons this month, the new squad. That's right. We got to give it up for Brady, Daniel, Trevor, and Charles. We've seen them all on the Discord. So say hi to them. Welcome them in. Ask them what their uh, – I already saw it. People already asked them what their favorite apples were. So big shouts to Brady who likes yeah, – uh, said Gala, apple. Gala. Gala. <laughs> Sorry, that was a solid person. gala apples. Uh, yeah, and then uh, Keith had a uh, Flockman's Prime had a really good apple review this week for the uh, the new. There's an apple at Costco. Uh, like I had a weird name, I can't remember it now. But I wrote it. I wrote it down in a, on our shopping list. So is it the Kirkland so, apple? He said it. He said it was kind of like it. Kind of reminded him of Hunt. He compared it to Honeycrisp in a favorable way, which is like okay, I got to try that now. I wonder if it's like a Cosmic Crisp then. Uh, I can't remember the name. No, I had a. W- Those are pretty. Scary. It had a really weird name, and now now Keith's gonna be mad at me. He's probably yelling at the. He's yelling <laughs> at the the podcast right now. He's like, "You son of a biscuit! You are Keith." Keith just crashes. Can car. you can you not re- remember anything? So yeah, all right. But anyway, today we're gonna do a, a little homage to a trilogy, a trilogy about torture and revenge. <laughs> Because that is what this season is like now. Uh, 15 years of imprisonment. Let's talk old boy, boys. So old boy and then also uh, the 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 rest rest of the Vengeance Trilogy, trilogy, which is us. Mr. Vengeance and Sympathy for Lady Vengeance, right? Or Uh, for the record, Mr. and Lady, uh, Mr. and Lady Vengeance. Right. Those are the names. They are they are juicy J.U.I.C.I. apples. Oh, so I'm fairly sure those are actually yoga pants. Uh, Keith, if you are eating yoga pants, be careful. About that. Okay, so <laughs> old boy, let's back to old boy <laughs> from Juicy Apples, which is could not be more different than old boy. Um, <laughs> all right, so. this movie one when you watch it, you there's a there's a scene in this movie where a fight takes place in a hallway. And I think that that is in the last, in the preceding, in the next twenty years since that scene, that is often imitated because it is one of the coolest fight scenes ever put to film. Uh, Dare can I make a claim? Daredevil did it uh, on the, the Netflix show. A couple other people have done similar fight scenes. Did it, uh, they are all homages to this one, and boy, does that fight scene uh, slap so hard! It does slap. <laughs> yeah, I would say that I. Uh, it's so old boy came out in 03. So that puts it about 10 years after a little more than that. Uh, the long taken hard boiled, which was the previous scene that like for the next decade, people were trying to kind of crib from and allude to in different action movie takes. It was another one of those ones where like when you have an action sequence with a top down camera angle, it's trying to borrow from the sequence in old boy. 
Like uh, the the whole like knife fight in a phone booth feel of that sequence is really really good. Um. So yeah. Oh boy. Plot though. It's it's a it's about a man. He gets arrested for being drunk. Uh. He's kidnapped. Wakes up in a sealed hotel room and is stuck there for fifteen years. And uh, instead of just giving up or whatever, he he plots his revenge. Man. He's he's boxing. He's uh he's playing his wrench, trying to dig a tunnel to escape. Uh. He's got all kinds of crazy stuff going on. And um, yeah, then so then, you know, eventually it turns into this movie is is it goes places. I don't know. It is dark. I don't really know how to kind of relentless. I don't really know how to explain it other than to say, like, it's basically like an incest revenge plot. Is that is that let's let's (sighs) not talk too much about that part Uh, um, for a lot of reasons. But uh, yeah, it's basically uh, there are a lot of moving pieces and you start putting them together just slightly enough before the character puts them together that uh, you get a chance to go like, oh, no way. And then, yeah, that's totally exactly what happened. My favorite thing about Old Boy is that the way you described the beginning of this movie, if you didn't know anything about it, you'd think that that would be the whole movie, that he's just stuck in this room. How's he going to get out of this room? But once he gets out of the room, that's when the movie starts. Yeah, it is. It is crazy. And it's it's very inspired by like Oedipus the King. Um, he, you know, he cuts off his like just like the other guy gouges his eyes out. Uh, he cuts his tongue off. Uh, it's very intense. It's very good. Uh, I gave it a four. The lead performer, Traymond Seek, is an amazing actor, too. He's been in a lot of really good stuff. And like he like he does some big time work in this movie. I think you both agree. Yes. Oh, yeah. So good. And you know, almost as problem. almost as good as when Josh Brolin reprised. <laughs> 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 the minute you okay. said, oh, boy, I couldn't. I was just like, oh, no. OK, no, so movie. so then there the, the first movie in the trilogy is Mr. Vengeance. But Eric, you recently watched Lady Vengeance. So I have actually never seen Lady Vengeance. So I'm going oh, okay. to I'm going to to bow out gracefully here and give you guys five or six minutes to talk about uh lady vengeance and uh go crazy so uh yep i'll be i'll be out of here and uh yeah go ahead so i i've seen old boy i liked it i've never seen sympathy for lady vengeance last night i had the uh the house to the living room to myself for the evening and i was like i gotta find something to watch what does hulu have Ooh, what's expiring in my queue lady vengeance or sympathy for lady vengeance and so i'm like oh let's watch this and it went from I thought I was going to fall asleep because I was so tired to I was wired after watching the movie. I was so jacked up on the tension from this movie. Uh, this movie follows a woman who has been locked up for 13 years. I saw it last night. I think it's 13 years. Yes. Um, For the kidnapping and murder of a five-year-old boy. Uh just so you know who you're rooting for, uh, this is your protagonist. It turns out that uh, she did not actually do this. She was framed to do this, and she was forced to uh, admit guilt in this because her daughter was kidnapped. And they said, hey, if you don't admit to this heinous crime, and we're going to tell you how to, uh, you know, how to make it believable to investigators, uh, you're, we're going to kill your daughter. So, like old boy, this is a... This is a protagonist, a person who is locked away for (laughs) into the teen years. And this whole time she is just turning from this, this kind of shining light of a woman or a, uh, a a quiet uh, mousy, mousy person into this just vengeance driven force 
and and I think you'd agree with me. The montage of the prison of the prison scenes. Oh, I love how like she they like, go back and forth too. Kind of meek and sweethearty, yes. and then all of a sudden you see like she's slowly becoming this like master manipulator, and like some of the stuff that she does in there is just so the brutal. queen of the prison. Yeah, and it's it's all believable because she's you know she just does things for other people. She's well liked, but she's she's weak enough where she can just slip under the radar of people. Yeah. puts on a good meat. Yes. And she just schools everybody. And I love how they, they kept going back to that. Like they didn't just all conquer at the beginning and then you're on with something like it kind of had, it started with her being released from prison and then just kind of has these flashbacks, if you will, of uh, you know, what her life was like there, how she got in prison. Uh, It, it turns out uh, wrapping up this plot that, uh, the the man who is behind this uh, this heinous act is a school teacher and he has actually been abducting and killing uh he, i think it's like five kids overall and it was children that he taught and he was annoyed by them uh well don't forget who plays the school teacher oh yes this i i got to say this this guy is like the king I, at first i would say he was the king of uh korean action movies or korean movies because he was so good but I I think he's just one of my favorite actors of, of all time. Yeah. And it's Choi Min-sik, the same guy who's the main character from Old Boy. Yes, and he plays an excellent evil, evil person in I Saw the Devil, one of my favorite movies. Absolutely fact. And also, if you want to see a really good dark comedy, he plays... Uh, uh, he's one of the family members in A Quiet Family, which is like Ooh, a black that. comedy. It's That's a really good movie. Oh. Anyway. Also, I no, Kevin, I haven't seen Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance, but... I, I, I got to say this movie was interesting to me and how kind of funny it was. So it's, it's, it's really dark and it's taking a serious subject matter, but there's these quick edits that, to, to kind of lighten the tension at times. Uh, they even do it at the end when it's really, really getting intense. It almost felt like a, like a good Wes Anderson movie. It does make, it makes for a bittersweet nature to it. where like, like it, it almost forces a bitter chuckle because you can't forget how dark everything that's happening is. But at the same time, like when something's funny, it's funny. Yes. Yeah. It's it's like those scenes that make you laugh in a horror movie. Well, not it doesn't fully break the tension. It just gives you this other thing that catches you off guard. It takes you out of it for just enough time for you to get back into it and not hate the movie. So the uh, the two movies, Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance and Sympathy for Lady Vengeance. Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance uh, stars Song Kang-ho, who um, people who are uh, not super into Korean cinema, you would still know him as the uh, lead, as the the father of the Khan family in Parasite. Parasite, yeah. Um, great actor. And in the, and the thing that these two movies have tying them together so in Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance, uh, he's a deaf man who lives with his sister and his sister is very ill. And uh, so um, Ryu is uh, Song King Ho's character who gets um, or. Uh, yeah, anyway, uh, Song King Ho's character gets roped in to do a um, to do a like insurance fraud type situation. Um, it's like a fake kidnapping and things go south because he feel he realizes far too late that he's the Patsy, hmm. which you recognize as being the plot line from sympathy for lady vengeance. Yeah. 
that's a little bit more upfront in Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance, but it still has the whole kind of playing things out over a really long time. And the thing I like about both of these movies is in both movies, like the main characters are not good people. They're not horrible people, but they're people that are being put in a desperate situation and like have to kind of give into their darkness in order to survive the situation. And it's almost like an exploration of like how dark someone can go without becoming the monster because, you know, they, they have a monster that they're hunting. So it's, it's, it's that whole, the only way to like yeah, uh, distinguish evil is to become just a little less evil than that. Yeah. That's, that's a good way of putting it. Uh, this movie, you know, we won't, uh, we won't go too far into it in case you really want to watch it, but the movie gets, uh, I mean, it's, it's like a descent into darkness. It keeps getting darker and darker and I won't go into the particulars at the very end. There is revenge. And some would argue like, ah, I feel like you could have done a lot more torture there. So- so would you say though the the the, the Seahawks right here season is that the reason to watch these is to know that it could be a lot worse because it could just keep That's... getting because all these movies they just go places right they get yeah, yeah. but uh, me and me and Nathan think that you may want to watch these movies after Sunday night's game or Sunday afternoon's game. <laughs> yeah, because you know, because you know, it can get worse. We just lost, yeah, yeah, and we all didn't pick San Francisco, so we didn't use our secret power of if we all picked the opposing team, the Seahawks always win. So, so, so. I can't be that predictable. I'm not. I'm not Ken Norton Jr. I'm not going to be predictable. <laughs> All right. Well, that's that's it, right? Let's yeah. uh, let's, yep. let's get out of here. For Eric, for Kevin, we will see you guys next week. Go Hawks. <laughs>